Morning, everybody. Hey, it's hard to believe that it is 29 weeks into this series already. It's hard to believe that. To be honest with you, I'm a little bit sad that it's coming to an end. Um, I have just thoroughly enjoyed this, this series. Some of you are like, 29 weeks? It's felt like 49 weeks, for real. But somebody said to me the other day, it's like, hey, you know, when we get to the end of the story after chapter 31, why don't we just start over and go back to chapter 1 and do it all over again? I thought, now there's an idea. Now, now Russia, we're not doing that. But I want to let you know that there is enough material here that we didn't cover that I could go back and preach all 31 again and not touch the same things. I mean, that's how much is still in here. But uh, it's been a great, great series. I'm a little bit sad to see it come to an end. But, uh, you know, all good things must come to an end. But we got two more Sundays after today, and we're going to finish so strong, and, and it's going to be really, really, really awesome. There was this little boy who was in Sunday school, and his Sunday school teacher asked the class, hey, why is it important that we're quiet in church? And the little boy thought for a minute, and he raised his hand, and she called on him. She says, well, we gotta be, he said, we got to be really quiet in church because there's so many people sleeping in there. And, you know, my hope is that this series that we've been in has not put you to sleep. That's my hope. I hope, though, actually, my prayer is that it has opened our eyes and it has taught us uh, what God's Word is all about. It's not only taught us about what God has done, but it's shown us some things about what God is doing right now and what God will do into the, the future. So in our study so far um, through the story, we have learned how in the Old Testament, God worked through the Israelites to, to win people back to him. And, and we did see almost on a weekly basis, there were many failures along the way of the Hebrew people, Israelites, but God still used that whole situation. And then we moved into the New Testament and we got into the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We learned all about Jesus and how he came, died on the cross and rose to life so that he could create a solution for our biggest problem, which is sin. And then last week we saw how, how uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and then the gift of the Holy Spirit came on Jesus' disciples and they went out into the streets and they were bearing witness and giving testimony to, to all that they had seen and heard. And there were thousands of people who heard the disciples speaking and, and, and they asked this question. They, they cried out from the crowds, what must we do? And do you remember Peter's famous answer? It's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, here's what you should do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Consequently, at the end of our service today, after communion and offering, we've got four baptisms today. So please, don't leave early. We've got four baptisms. Yes. But on that day, 3,000 people believed the words of the disciples. 3,000 people repented of their sins and were baptized. And the church officially had begun on that day. The church, what we are a part of today, started on that day some 2,000 years ago. And we learn as we read through the story that these early believers... They were devoted to four things really strongly. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We learned that. The apostles' teaching was basically what Jesus had taught them. Jesus had gave them this great commission. He said, go out, do all the world, and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them 
everything that I have taught you. So the apostles' teaching is them teaching what Jesus taught, and they were devoted to what Jesus taught. They were devoted to fellowship, breaking of bread, communion, and they were devoted to prayer. Those were the four marks of this very early, early church, and it was the Spirit of God that had come upon all of them that just bound them all together. And I appreciate Mario last week doing an excellent job preaching through chapter 28 and talking about all of those things. See, absolutely. All right, don't clap too much. You're going to give him a big head. I'm kidding. Mario, you did a great job last week. So now chapter 29 of the story, as we're moving into that this week, it covers much of what we know as the book of Acts and many of the New Testament books. Sometimes we call them books. Sometimes the official name is epistle, which is a fancy word for a letter. They were letters written to the churches. So chapter 29 is the book of Acts. It's some of the, the letters that Paul wrote. And it covers these three missionary journeys that, that Paul went on. And what becomes very clear as you get through chapter 29, did everybody get through chapter 29? I know it was a little long. And I know it's a little weighty. Anybody agree? Yes, this was a little bit longer. 29 was a tough one. If you didn't quite get through it, um, stick with it. Get, get through it. it. There's a lot there, and it's so deep and rich. But what we learn in chapter 29 is that this new group of people became known as the body of Christ. In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So, so here's what we begin to learn in this part of the story, that all of us who have believed in God, have put their, their faith in him, have become part of the church and what we have come known as the body of Christ, this collection of believers brought together and bound together by the Holy Spirit. The church, that's what we are. Now, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Well, that's probably a 10-part series all by itself. But in short, I like to think about it like this, that when we are the body of Christ, it means that when we walk into a room together, it's just like Jesus walked into that room. And we look like Jesus, and we sound like Jesus, and we act like Jesus, we talk like Jesus, and, and, and people know there's some, something different. I'm going to tell you, when we are submitting our lives to, to God's will, we're in his word, we're people of the word, we're becoming more like Jesus every day, and together we're becoming more like him, and, and we show the world more of him each and every day. We're the body of Christ. Assembled together, the church of Jesus, the, the, this, this body of Christ, we love others like Jesus loved others. We, we see others like Jesus saw. They see us like they would want them to see Jesus. And I would say that when we walk into a room that we're a little bit more like Jesus today than we were a year ago. And maybe a year from now, we're a little bit more like Jesus than we are today. We are the, the body of Christ. And this body of Christ was given an incredible mission to take the good news of Jesus to all those who need to hear it. And so the question becomes, and we wrestle with, same question that they had back then, is how far do we take this message? As the body of Christ, this mission that we're on to share God's love with us, how far do we take this message? Well, Jesus gives us just a little bit of a glimpse to the answer of that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says this. He says this to his disciples first. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's how far. 
got your storybooks with you today, would you open to the very back cover? If you got a storybook with you today, this very back cover, and if it's your first time with us, we've been studying through this book. This is the Bible arranged in chronological order and uh, helps us understand what it's all about. And it's verse by verse. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic tool. And if you'd like one, we'd love to give you one. It's our gift to you. It's right out at the Welcome Center. We've got a whole stack out there. Just walk out there after church. I'd love to get one of those story Bibles. And we'd love to have you come. And even though we're in this for two more Sundays, we want you to be here to be a part of it. But if you got your storybook today, open to the back cover. And what you're going to see there is you're going to see a map. It's a map of the New Testament world. It's not a highly detailed map. But what it is is it is a snapshot of all of chapter 29, 30, and 31. This is where the gospel was spreading. Now, you might have your, your regular Bible with you, and it might have some maps in the back of it. And if you do, you're going to see a lot more detail on those maps. This is just kind of a, a, a broad map. But you're going to see that where Jerusalem is, that's where Jesus died. That's where he rose to life. And that's where the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And, and that's where they went out teaching. And 3,000 people became believers in the church began. And then Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's where they started. And then he says, and into all Judea. And so you see Judea up there and it's starting to spread out. Now we know through reading the New Testament, it spreads into Samaria, which is just moving up north. And then really, if you go all over, this is where to the ends of the earth for the people of Jesus' day, many of the people, this is what they would have known. And this is where we see the gospel going. So chapter 29, 30, and 31, this is how it spreads. God will take this message through his servants to all of these places. But you know what? God wasn't just interested in places. What is he more interested in? He's interested in people. And it's always been God's plan for Jesus' sacrifice to extend to all people. And do you understand what that means today? It means that it didn't matter anymore if you were a male or a female, God's love, God's grace extended to you, salvation is for you. It didn't matter if you were young or old. It didn't matter what language you spoke or what the, the, the tint of your skin happened to be. The Lord was for everybody. Salvation came to all the world. And it was to bear testimony to that. And that's what this map represents. It wasn't just places, it was people that God was, was, was after. And so as we go into chapter 29, you're going to start to see this evangelism explosion throughout the known world, and God appoints perhaps the most unlikely of persons to lead this charge. And if you know anything about the story, then you know that God has a habit of picking the most unlikely of people to do his, his will, and it's still true to this day. I'm talking about a guy named Saul who would have his name changed to Paul. Now, if you've read chapter 28 last week, then you've already read a little bit about Paul. Paul is this guy who, in the beginning, when all this Jesus stuff was happening, he hated it. And he went around and he persecuted these early Christians. After the day of Pentecost, he would go town to town, haul people off in jail. We read about last week how there was a guy named Stephen. He was a Christian, and he was the first Christian martyr that we know about, and it was Saul, who later became Paul, who gave his approval for that killing. This is that guy, and, and we sit here and we go, no, 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 not him. He would be the last guy that we would ever expect to start this huge evangelistic movement around the world, but God uses this guy. Now in chapter 28, if you haven't read chapter 28, I'm kind of dipping back one chapter. Paul is on the way to go round up some more Christians and he meets Jesus. 
If you know the story, you should go back and read it, but he gets blinded for several days, and this voice, it was the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who is this? Lord, it's funny how in de- desperate times we know exactly who's talking to us. He knew it was the Lord. And it was that moment that his attitude, his heart began to shape, and, and as you read the account of what happened to him, he became a believer. And it's this guy who is going to lead the charge It is this guy who was going to plant at least 10 churches that we read about in the New Testament and author 13 New Testament books. It's this guy. But even he found it almost crazy that he would be given such a task. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul said this about himself. He understood how unlikely this was. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because why? Because I persecuted the church. So he, under, he even understands this is so strange that I would be given this task. Now, it would be impossible, and I mean that, impossible for me to even scratch the surface on everything we learned in chapter 29. If you've read it, you know what I mean. So I'm going to trust and hope that you will spend your own time in chapter 29. What I'd like to do with the rest of our time this morning is I would like to point out some qualities that I see in Paul's life that marked his journey through chapter 29, or what we would refer to as first, second, and third missionary journey, the explosion of evangelism and the launching of all these churches and many people becoming saved. He had this incredible life and there's these things about his life that if we could just emulate a little bit, if we could just pull into our own life, my goodness, the impact that we might have, our outlook on our own situations may may change quite a bit. So I want to talk about Paul and I trust that you'll read everything that he did. And I want to I just talk for a minute about four things. The, the first one is this. If you're taking notes, this would be a great thing to write down. So I think about Paul and all of his journeys. I see a man who exhibited incredible commitment. Incredible commitment. He was incredibly committed to the mission that God had put in front of him. There, there might be another word that we could swap out for commitment. It's a little bit more of a biblical word. I would say this, faithful He was faithful. He was committed. He was faithful to this mission that God had called him to. And and I think about that. And of course, I know a lot about what Paul went through and what he did. And we're going to look at that this morning. But I look at that. I, I think back into my own life. And I think about how sometimes we look at life and how easy it is to make some assumptions about things. It's easy to assume that if we're going about God's business, that things will just go smoothly. That's an assumption that that we can make. Like, hey, if things are going well, then God must be blessing everything that I'm doing and I must be walking in his will will, because look how great things are going. And you know what? There may be some truth to that. You know, I believe God's blessings come in many forms and we don't always recognize some of God's blessings. But on the flip side, we are also tempted to think these things too. If things are not going well, We might be tempted to think, well, God isn't with me. That maybe somehow I've missed God's will or I've stepped outside of God's will. Isn't that kind of human nature to think that way? Boy, life is really tough. What did I do wrong? Why isn't God with me anymore? And let me, friends, let me just tell you, that is a really slippery slope to view God's blessing and his will in such ways. Some TV preachers out there may have you convinced 
that if you will just give enough, have enough faith, and believe certain ways that you're never going to have a bad day, that it will never rain on your day, and you'll never get sick, and, and nothing will ever go wrong, and you'll be happy and healthy and rich for the rest of your life. Friends, that's not what I read in the Bible. But it's human nature to think things are going well, God is with me. Things are going bad, God's not with me. We can't think that way. And the reason why I say you can't think that way, because of Paul. Let me just share a few things about his life. He walked with God all of his believing life, and he, he, he did everything that God wanted him to do. But, but listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, let me tell you how bad things went for him at times. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And by our standard, a lot of times what we assume is like, man, if I've been exposed to all that, God must not be with me. But I can promise you God was with him through every step. And then he goes on to say, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Do you understand what he's saying there? how intense that is. It was a common held belief that if you lash somebody 40 times, they're dead. And so you get the 40 minus one, which is what? 39, even under the common core way of doing math, we can figure that out, right? Four, 40 minus one is 39. And so, um, and I didn't have to draw it out or circles or lines and I didn't have to say how I felt about it. It just, it is 40 minus one it's 39. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gone there. Sometimes I just can't help myself. All right? I'm sorry. And to all my friends who are teachers, I apologize. Don't email me. I, I'm, just being, I'm just making a stupid joke, all right? So the 40 minus 1, which means that they would beat you to the point of death, but not kill you. And it means they'll beat you so much that you want to die. And he says, five times I got that level of scourging because of his faith in Jesus. He goes on to say, three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Sounds like a rough trip. But God was blessing him through it. He was walking with God. And that was not an indication that God had removed his blessing at all. So when things aren't going well, it doesn't mean necessarily that you've stepped out of sight of God's plan. Things can just be tough because, A, Christianity within our faith, we're never promised that everything would be hunky-dory. And don't ever forget, we have an enemy. And so Paul just, what I see in this is that he just had no quit in him. He was committed. He was faithful. Let me tell you about another time. Uh, we read that in Lystra, um, he was stoned and left for dead. And what that means to be stoned is that they would take rocks and they would pelt you with them until you were dead. 
And he got that one time. And it says in Acts chapter 14, verse 20, that, that, that this had happened to him because he was preaching the gospel and they rejected it and they stoned him to death because that's what they did back then. And then it says, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he, Paul, got up. So he wasn't dead. He kind of got his senses back to him, to him and he got up and he went back into the city. In other words, there was no quit in him. He was not done. He was not delivering what God had told him to do. He was committed. Now, let me tell you, if that was my story, if this was my autobiography and they dragged Joe Williams out and they stoned him and left him for dead, but then his friends got around him and he kind of came back to his senses, you know what my story would say? He got up and ran away. But Paul went back in because he was committed to what God had called him to first. And I believe that this is something that we need to hear because every single one of us in this room has talents and gifts and resources given to you by God. But if you're not committed, if you're not faithful, then I just don't believe God will use you to your full potential. Faithful, committed. You know, some of the best servants in the church are not necessarily the most talented or the most gifted. You know what it comes down to a lot of times? They're just the most committed, the most faithful. And I want to challenge you in that this morning. I want to challenge everyone who's a believer today. Don't give up on your walk with the Lord because it's difficult and because things aren't necessarily working out the way that you thought they would work out. Don't give up on the Lord. Stay committed. Stay faithful. I would think it would be very naive of me to think that from the four services that we have here on a weekend, that there's not one or two people at least that came in here going, I don't know if I want to stick with any of this. It's hard. It's difficult at times. The struggle is real, but I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up on your walk with the Lord. Don't give up on him. Stay faithful. Stay committed. Good things will happen. So I see commitment out of Paul. I see something else, a character quality in his life that I read all throughout chapter 29. It's this, joy. Joy. I can't help but to read a lot of joy. Do you realize that one of the letters that, of the 13 that he wrote in the New Testament, one of the ones that it's considered the joyful letter, he wrote from a prison cell? Isn't that ironic? The most joyful letter he wrote to the Christians of that day was while he was in a prison cell. He had this incredible joy. Let me give you another example. When Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas, they were visiting um, a church in Poseidon, Antioch, things were going great. We, we read about how good they were going. Acts chapter 13, verse 44 says this. On the next Sabbath... Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Friends, it doesn't get better than that for a preacher. Everyone came to listen. That's what's happening. But the very next verse reads this. On the next Sabbath, um, excuse me, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him. So it went from great to not so great Five verses later, here's what happened. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their region. 
And they probably dragged him out of there and said, get out of here. Now, this is a little different from before because in this situation, Paul and Barnabas had said everything they wanted to say. They didn't go back in. In fact, the Bible says they shook the dust off their clothes, which is like a Bible times way of saying, I'm done here. Now you have to make a decision. You own that decision. And then they went on. And then two verses later, it says this. This is what's amazing to me. They just got run out of town. All kinds of nasty things said about them that wasn't true. And it says, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How in the world does that happen? How can you be run out of town and still have joy? Now, let's not mistake, I don't think it was fun. But joy and fun are not the same thing. It's not how you'd expect their story to end in that specific situation, but they were joyful. Why? Here's why. Because their joy was not connected to their circumstances. Their joy was not dependent upon their circumstances. And isn't that how we are at times? The joy in our life is often connected at the hip to how well things are going or how well they are not going. So it's kind of like this. I am joyful if I am in good health. But if I am not in good health, I'm not joyful. That's sometimes how we think. So how about this one? I'm very joyful because my finances are going really well. But when those finances are not going really well, well, that joy leaves. Why does the joy leave? Because your joy is connected to your circumstances. I see this all the time and I fight it myself. I am joyful if my team wins. (laughs) And go Kansas City today. Beat them Cowboys. Sorry, I know there's a lot of Cowboys fans here, but hey, there's a lot of Chiefs fans too. But if they lose... No, they're not going to lose. But if they lose, I would hope that my joy would not suffer. How about this one? I am joyful if my candidate won the election. Ooh, a little closer to home. Paul's joy was not based off his circumstances, but was based off of the Lord. That's why it says they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, because they're bad circumstance didn't rob them of their joy. It just wasn't based on that. There was another time Paul and Silas, another traveling companion of his, they were uh, together. And listen to this, Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And if you read chapter 29, they would go around preaching the gospel. And so they would attract large crowds. And so these crowds would come against them. So the crowd joined and attacked Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Man, that's the worst case scenario for a preacher. You're locked away in an inner cell. You can't talk to anybody. Your feet are chained. Can't go anywhere. And then it says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're praying and they're singing. Do you understand their situation? They've just been falsely accused. They got come up against against people who didn't like them. They were beaten with rods. They were severely flogged, thrown into the prison, feet in stocks. And Silas leans over to Paul and says, hey, Paul, you know what I'm thinking? And Paul says, yeah, I sure do. Praise night. Night of worship. And they're They're singing. How in the world can you do that? You can 
if your joy is not connected to your circumstances, but it's connected to the Lord. Friends, your world can be falling apart, but if you've got God in your life, and you know that you are a new creation in him, and you are saved and sanctified, and you're going to be in heaven forever, friends, there's some joy in there somewhere. There's some joy in there. And that's bigger than your circumstances. There's another quality that I see in Paul's life. It's, it's love. It's love. He loved the Gentiles, the very ones he was trying to reach, and many of whom rejected this message. Let, let me just show you another example. If we're going to continue the story, remember they're in prison, and they're, they're shackled, and they're singing, and their joy is coming out. But then we learn this. There was an earthquake in the middle of that worship night. And the doors of the prison cells flew open. You can read all about this in Acts chapter 16. And their shackles fell off and they were free to go. And the jailer, this big bad Roman jailer who's supposed to be guarding them, he thinks they all ran away. It was his job to guard them. Now, if you know anything about Roman law, if you were a soldier and you were tasked to guard somebody and they got away, they executed you. That was your punishment. And so he thinks his prisoners got away, so we read that this jailer pulls out his sword and he's going to take his own life because, you know, why, why bother? Let's just go for it because this is what he's going to do. And right before he falls on his sword, Paul and Silas are like, don't do that. Don't do that. Now, now, think about this for just a minute. The Bible doesn't give us all the details, but I can't imagine that this jailer was very kind to them when he locked them up. I would imagine there might have been a push into the cell or he kicked them, or maybe he's like, get in there, you, and kick. You know, I don't know. Just use your imagination. I doubt this guy was friendly to Paul and Silas. And maybe deep down inside, if it was us, there might have been a part of us. It's like, that guy's about to kill himself. Let's watch. That mean guy right there who kicked me, I'm still sore. He's... Let's let him do it. But Paul and Silas stop him. You know why? Because I believe it was at that moment they didn't see him as their enemy anymore. They saw him as somebody who needed to be reached with the good news of Jesus. And they said, don't do that. We're still here. Read the story on your own. But what had happened is this, they began to tell this jailer. Something about that night changed him. And they began to tell him about Jesus. And he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? Most important question that you could have been asked that night. What do I got to do? And they told him what it was. He became a believer. He bandaged their wounds. His whole family became believers and were baptized that very night. I see a lot of love in that example. And when you've got commitment to the mission that's bigger than you and you find your joy that's not connected to your circumstances, some friends, I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to love those who aren't that lovable. Final thing I see is just real quickly, I see, I see a lot of patience in Paul. I read this through chapter 29. He, he had patience for these Gentiles that wouldn't listen to him. He would go back in. He would, he would try. He would try again. He was, he was patient to let God move in his own way. There were times that Paul would go spend a couple years here. We don't know all the things that happened. We just know he patiently ministered to people, patiently preaching the gospel, patiently waiting on people to become saved and to start this church. He was a patient guy. There was this one time that the Bible says that Paul was given a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was exactly. There's been a lot of theories. Three times Paul said, God, please take this away from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul was content to say, okay, I'll be patient with whatever you're doing with that. Patient with the Jews who are constantly trying to work against him and destroy him. I just see these four qualities in his life. Commitment, joy, joy love 
and patience, and it leads me to this conclusion, that our journey, our walk with the Lord, it's not just about where you're going. It's about who you are along the way. You know, something I say around here a lot and believe with all my heart, that God cares more about where you're going than where you have been. It's where you can have a new life in Christ, and God's more interested in about the life you're going for than the life you're leaving behind. But at the same time, who you are along that journey is a very, very big deal. How did Paul do this? How did Paul have this commitment, this, this joy, this love, this patience? Because he had an incredible traveling companion. And I'm not talking about Barnabas and I'm not talking about Silas. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? It was true of Paul, it's true of us. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Why is Paul's mission so important to us? Because the book of Acts, which is a good part of chapter 29 here, the book of Acts, it's our story. This is where you and I fit into God's story. The book of Acts is still being written today, and I don't mean that there's going to be more chapters and verses added to it. That's not what I mean. What I mean is our lives are a continuation of the church. Our lives are a continuation of what was started back in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament. We have that same commission on our lives today that they had back then. We, right here, are to be Jesus, the body of Christ, to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission continues with us. And if we take anything away from these last three chapters of the story is that we have this great commission to follow through on, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. And our Jerusalem may very well be Bella Vista and to witness all there. And our Judea may be Northwest Arkansas. Our Samaria may be the state of Arkansas. Our ends of the earth, well, is to the ends of the earth. We have the same commission in the New Life Christian Church and the body of Christ that bears that name with the power of the Holy Spirit giving us strength. We will do that until we breathe our very last. Amen? Amen. Let me pray.